Artistic Whispers Productions presents Down from 10 A Country House Mystery Written and Performed by J. Daniel Sawyer Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net Featuring the vocal talents of Philippa Ballantyne T. Morris Kitty Nakian, Nathan Lowell Miss Calendar Nobilis Reed Christiana Ellis Chris Lester With original music by Danny Shade This podcast contains adult language, sexual situations, and bizarre humor. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, this is Abigail Hilton, co-host of Forecast, audio production tips for forecast audiobooks at forecastpodcast.com. You're listening to episode 22 of Down From 10, and this is the story so far. Dressing and burying a body beneath the snow is no mean feat, and the situation is beginning to get desperate. After retiring to bed, Katie found herself walking the halls in a strange other world, attacked by a flying shadow. But of course, it was only a dream, wasn't it? Chapter 22, E-3, Morning. Don't open your eyes. Don't open. Concentrate on my voice. Nothing else in the whole universe. It's springtime outside. Halos of glory dancing through the windows. Spears and ribbons falling down on the wind. Touching the earth like a mother's kiss. The sun whose light we lift, calling out to his missing children. We are lying in the light of a sun that should be shining, if only we could see. Now, open them, slowly. Amos heard a match strike. He opened his eyes to see Carol reaching up to an oil lamp on the headboard. The lamp took the light, and she shook the match out, dropping it in a small brass tray. She turned her attention to him and propped her head on her hand, not bothering to cover her breasts as she lay on her side watching his eyes. We'll see it soon. It was a beautiful picture. Only Carol was here. The bed was one body short of full. Where's Katie? They're all downstairs, with intrigue and murder on their mind. She dipped her eyes and looked at him from under her brow obviously delighted that they were completely alone. That doesn't bode well. They need to get it out of their systems. Let's hope they can. If we stay down here much longer, people are going to start going batty. (laughs) A sly, playful look passed over Carol's face. What if we never make it out? How would you play this out? Writing it? Why not? Well... We have the makings of a good mystery, maybe. Very Agatha Christie. Bohemian tribe, matriarchs too clever for all of them, things going bump in the night, a mysterious death, lots of sex, and scandal. Wouldn't take much to turn it all 30 degrees and make it into something really bizarre. What would you do with it? Hmm... I'd set the whole thing in latter-day Victorian London. Naturally. Oh, poo on you. It's my universe. I can use it if I want. Fair enough. So how would you spin it out? 
She scooted closer to him. He could smell the rosemary tang of her shampoo drifting to him across the pillow. Do you think me such a spider, good sir? You certainly have me ensnared in your web. Amos raised his hand to her cheek and ran his fingers along her cheekbones. Despite yesterday's suspicions, he couldn't think of anywhere he'd rather be than here, with this woman he'd come to love more dearly than his own life. Mmm, excellent. It's all going according to my evil plan. She leaned close and kissed his nose, then leaned back on her elbow. Oh, let's see. Dear old Aunt Agatha said she used to write right up to the end and then decide who was the least likely and make that person the killer. So, on those grounds, I think Sarah would have to be the killer. Okay, you got me there. But what would be her motive? Carol, like a picture of proper Victorian perversion, raised a knowing eyebrow. What if she found out after they slept together that he was her long-lost brother? Hmm. You'd have to make her a little more conservative and much more flighty, methinks. Oh, I'm sure. Remember, I knew her back when she was just blooming. Amos ran his finger down her forehead to her nose. You were a dirty old woman at 19. Oh, at least since 15. Beneath the sheets, Carol's fingers found his chest and traced out to his sides, running slowly up and down the silhouette of his body. So, mm, that's nice. So, what would happen when she was found out? Amos retaliated in kind, finding her hips and moving in complex little swirls that he knew would make her shudder. Oh, recriminations, suspicion, someone pulling a gun? <laughs> so unoriginal. He withdrew his hand as punishment for her deplorable lack of creativity. Okay, smarty pants, what would you do with it? Uh, oh, let's see. I'd make the house a gateway to another world. Or a time machine. He resumed touching her, this time squeezing the undersides of her breasts where they were most sensitive. Carol moaned softly, and her caresses grew bolder. She used her fingernails now, tracing patterns from his ribs down to his navel, advancing millimeters lower with every stroke. Mm. Where would we be going? Oh, no, you're not playing fair. <laughs> I'm a fully qualified temptress, I'll have you know. I used to work as a professional distraction for the writer's block syndicate. I can handle adversity. <sighs> or at least enjoy it. He shifted his weight to his elbow and pushed himself forward, scooting into her. She threw a leg over him and cocked her hips forward, pressing her damp vulva to his pubic bone. He drew his hips back and aimed himself up at her, then slid forward all the way. Once he was comfortably situated inside, he whispered, We'd go back to the beginning of the world. Mmm, awfully bad air pollution. All that sulfur from volcanoes. God. Okay. Amos paced his breathing so he wouldn't get too hot too soon, and slid high on her vulva so that with every thrust her clit rode along his length. Fantasy novel. It would take us to the Garden of Eden. Mmm, I love apples. He leaned forward and found her ear, sucking the rim of it into his mouth and pressing it between his tongue and teeth. 
gods. Yes. She was getting close already. She must have been masturbating before they started. Amos shifted down a bit and slowed his pace, drawing her out longer. We do this in the sun. And the river. Uh. She sighed, and then as if by mutual agreement, they stopped moving. Amos pulled back and looked in her eyes, each of them smiling back at the other like they'd found a buried treasure long given up for lost. Your trouble. (laughs) You're dangerous. Mm. Amos grabbed her hip with his full hand and pulled her firmly down onto him again. She leaned down and kissed his neck hungrily, reaching around and scratching his ass like she meant it. The two of them moved against each other beneath the sheets until they couldn't smell anything other than sex. She was damned if she could figure a way around it. In all her life, Katie had never had dreams like this. Not that she usually remembered her dreams in the first place. As she sat alone in the solarium with her knees to her chest and her mug of hot chocolate perched precariously upon the fabric of her coveralls, she looked out through the blank gray of the solarium walls. This morning when she woke up, she'd slipped into Gerd's room to see if she might be able to crawl up Carol's tunnel and signal for help. With Jeremiah dead and the dreams intensifying, they couldn't afford to stay in much longer. But the snow outside, at least on the upslope side was packing toward ice, and the tunnel Carol dug five days ago had frozen over completely. Unless the snow on the leeward side of the house was looser, nobody was getting out now until everyone worked together. Maybe. Staring into the nothingness beyond the windows, she found it hard to avoid the feeling that she was looking for something to do to shrink her guilt. The dream last night was like something written by Freud in Jung's love child. The dust everywhere, the cold bodies, the insane, repetitive chanting, the snuffed candle, the figure of death flying at her. It was just her subconscious playing with her, hammering her with recriminations that her adult mind knew better than to voice out loud. It had happened twice now, enough to establish a perfect record. Every boy she'd wished would disappear had. First Eric in high school had died in his car at Mission Peak from drinking drain cleaner only two weeks after she'd tried to kill him herself by spiking his drink with drain cleaner. Now Jeremiah, dead in his sleep apparently from his own stupidity, half a week after she first murmured to herself that she wished that he would wake up dead somewhere, the victim of his own tendency to be a complete fuckwad. Not for the first time, it occurred to her that she might have some strange, terrible power. She kicked herself for being so childish and superstitious, but this morning, no amount of lying to herself would make the feeling go away. Something had to explain it, and, Kevin and Amos's vocal derisions to one side, the only thing that ever seemed to fit was the notion that some power in the universe had a horrible mission to make sure that people stayed out of her way. That's what the dreams were telling her. Maybe it was time she listened. Maybe. If she could figure out a way to be sure they were just dreams, and not memories. Her thoughts were interrupted by Gerd lumbering into the room and stripping his shirt as he went. 
He got to the spa about the same time his undershirt hit the rack, lifted the cover, and stuck his hand in to test the water. My God, it's freezing. His shout nearly scared the bones right out from between her muscles. Katie recovered her breath and wiped the chocolate off her knees as she answered flatly. Power went out again last night. Generator didn't kick on. Out of gas. Turned the spa on again when I found it, but it'll take a couple more hours yet to heat up. Ah, c'est la vie. Behind her, she heard Gerd move over to the rack, presumably to retrieve his discarded clothes. He drew level with her on his way out, but paused. She could feel him looking sidelong at her. Kitty did? Are you okay? I'll be fine. Thanks. She made sure her tone said go away as loudly as possible. He obliged, leaving her alone again. She closed her eyes and held the chocolate, letting the warmth of it on her hands remind her that not everything in the world was cold. Appearances to the contrary, it was morning creeping fast upon noon. Phantasms of false guilt weren't going to get her anywhere, neither was fretting over her dreams. They were, after all, only dreams. And no matter what, Katie wasn't going to waste her whole day fretting over them. The microwave's ding announced the completion of Kevin's lunch. Beef stew, fresh from the can. To his nose, it screamed one thing. Calories. The ramen he'd had for breakfast didn't really tide him down, but they gave him enough ballast to paint on. Now he needed protein and fat and calories, what Carol would normally call junk food. Which was, naturally, why he insisted on eating it out in the living room, in her view. Well, the real reason was nobody else was in the kitchen, but he was behind on the number of exasperated noises and facial expressions he'd been able to squeeze out of her this week, so it made for an added incentive. The shorter of the leather couches was available, and Gerd already had a chessboard set up for him on the end table. Kevin plopped down and opened with his queen's pawn, then settled into his stew. Over by his easel, Sarah sat cross-legged in the midst of a small city of movies, from videotapes to Blu-rays, stacked just right so that, from Kevin's vantage point, they were a spitting image of the finer points of the Chicago skyline. The selection of the correct film, or series of films, was evidently an all-important decision. She had fussed extensively over each title, then frustratedly discarded the ones that didn't match her exacting standards, which evidently was most of them. She looked haggard, like she hadn't gotten much sleep the last night, or last several nights, but then, who could blame her? At least she looked to be finding something to keep her mind off Jeremiah's death. Gerd countered with his kingside knight, and then absconded on a vital errand of mercy. Kevin took a bite of his stew and considered his next move. No. 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 1923? God damn, Carol, where do you buy your movies? Sarah continued sorting, even when Gerd shoved a mug of coffee into her field of view. She seized it and put it down where it wouldn't distract her from her mission, and automatically said, Merci, Tadpole. But of course, Petit Shot. Gerd scratched her head briefly, then returned to Kevin in time to see Kevin open a path for his white bishop. Kevin felt a hand brush by his head on its way somewhere. The floral scent that wafted with it told him it was Adele. He arched his head back to greet her, only to find her retreating into the entryway with a glass, an ice pick, and a bottle of Tarani syrup. That was until she saw the burgeoning metropolis cocooning Sarah. Sheepers, Carol. Getting ready to open a video store? If it isn't here, it isn't worth watching. 
Carol, seated imperiously in her wingback, peeked her eyebrows over the lip of her laptop screen. <laughs> That's a little obsessive, isn't it? Adele continued on to her mysterious mission in the entryway. Cable's expensive and satellite dishes are ugly. And 90% of what's on is complete crap. If I'm going to watch a movie, I want to watch something challenging and interesting. Bikini Planet? Sarah helpfully held up a DVD illustrating the point. Carol squinted her eyes in mock malevolence. Kevin, toss me the riding crop. Nuh-uh. I'm not going to fetch and carry for you until you're done humiliating yourself. He punctuated his refusal by eating a spoonful of stew at her. Next to him, Garrett advanced his queenside knight. Kevin countered quickly by sending his bishop out into the wild, giving it a line of sight straight through Garrett's defensive line to his queen. <laughs> you can be replaced by a machine. Probably a simple one. Ah, but you'll never find a machine to do what I do. I've already got one, and all it needs is four double A's. Carol turned her attention back to her computer as if he were no longer a relevant factor in the future unfolding of the universe. Score! One point for the bombshell. Adele's voice echoed from the foyer, with Adele following hot on its heels. What in God's name is that? Sarah stared straight at the glass in Adele's hand, now full to overflowing with what looked like snow and blood, as if it were a three-headed toad. Adele followed Sarah's gaze to her glass and held it up to display. Oh, Carl gave me the idea. We're all sick of being buried in here under all this snow, making us miserable. When life gives you lemons, or in this case snow, you make snow cones. Adele poured another dollop of the raspberry taronis onto the powdered ice. She set the bottle down, took her spoon, and scooped out a small mountain of the red slush, deposited it in her mouth, and then removed the spoon with an adorably gratuitous flourish. Mm. Marvelous. Snow cones? Katie entered from the solarium, her eyes locked on Adele's snow cone with covetous glee. Glasses over the sink, syrup in the pantry, unless you want some of Adele's flavor. Katie sidled up next to Adele. I think I'll have some of the Adele flavor. Can I have a taste, senorita? Adele, quite politely, fed Katie a spoonful. Mmm, very nice. The younger woman leaned in and pecked Adele on the cheek, then said just loudly enough for Kevin to hear. Don't worry, your syrup tastes lovely. Kevin will love it. Adele's blush crept all the way up her neck to her ear tips. Katie turned to Sarah as if she'd just finished talking about the weather. So, what's on the viewing menu? Sarah extended both arms to encompass the scattershot catalog around her. We've got everything of a dog's ass. Gerd deployed his queen's bishop's pawn one forward, blocking Kevin's bishop's kill line. Got any Kislovsky? Sarah scanned down the spines. Let's see. Yes. The decalogue here. Colors trilogy here. Magnifique. None for me, thanks. Depressing. How about Blade Runner? Oh, and that's not depressing. Not if you're in the right frame of mind. Katie shuffled backward and slid into the kitchen. Want anything to eat? No, I'm fine. Kevin discovered that Katie had re-emerged when he felt her lips at his ear, whispering, Adele tastes delicious. And skipping away before he could ask for clarification on the point. The sculptor skipped back over towards Sarah and deposited a hoard of granola bars on the floor. She sat down next to it and cracked the first one open. You're eating like a pig this morning. More nightmares. Katie mumbled through a mouthful of oats. I'm going crazy stuck in here. Sarah waggled her eyebrows. Psychos are us, bitch. We have entertainments of all kinds. You can exercise, you can play Scrabble, you can drag one of those nymphos into a corner for a quick bounce, or you can watch a movie with me. Kevin popped his King's Rook's pawn too forward. Every time she lays out choices, she sounds like a samurai diplomat. 
How does she do it? Must be all those years in the theater. Adele seemed to settle into her position in the foyer, leaning back up against the doorway and taking another chomp of her slurry. You too, Mama Tambien? Sarah held it up like a game show host. Now you're talking. Could we watch something that's not porn? That's not porn. Right. A threesome sex and road trip film that couldn't get a rating. That's high art. Oh, you're one to talk. Kevin couldn't help thinking back to the photo session yesterday, but didn't want to belabor the point. Sarah, on the other hand, put the B back in subtle. And you've been hanging out with all us naked poly people, modeling in our pictures. It's not about how explicit it is. Art is about beauty and people. Porn is about commerce, and Hollywood never saw... So because it was a commercial film... The company it keeps sure doesn't help. Hey, now. Sarah set the movie down and put her fists on her hips. We all sell our art. We make a living from it. Doesn't make it porn. There's a difference. A big one. I don't like seeing sex on the screen and knowing that people were paid for it. Any other time that happens, we'd call it prostitution. People like being touched. People like fantasizing about being touched. People like remembering what it means to feel longing. Sarah's posture relaxed a bit now that she was sure she had Adele's attention. Good art stirs all that up in people. Porn just makes you want to jerk off. Our little kitten has hidden depths. Which she can sink to faster than any of us. Kevin barely got the words out of his mouth before a pillow, flying inexplicably through the air from Sarah's general direction, struck him squarely on the side of his head. He caught it before it bounced all the way to the ground and fired it back, only to have it intercepted by Adele and thrown back at him. This time he managed to dodge. Barely. Hey, what's the deal? She was arguing with you. Essence with ovaries gotta stick together. Garrett? Kevin stabbed his spoon resolutely into what remained of the stew. I think our gonads have been challenged. My way. Gerd stood slowly enough that Kevin imagined he heard the sunrise movement of also Sprach Zarathustra in the background. Kevin grabbed his bowl and shuffled it safely under the coffee table, where it was least likely to get upended in the melee he was about to start, then grabbed a pair of pillows. Following the directions Gerd conveyed by creative pointing with his eyeballs, Kevin circled around the coffee table, getting all the menace he could into his admittedly ridiculous bearing as he closed on Carol, while Gerd headed toward Sarah. About two steps before Kevin got within reach of Carol, she slid her laptop under the chair and dashed for the open ground on the other side of the couches. Kevin was on her tail in a flash, leaping over the couch to catch up with her running around it. He cocked his arm and let loose with the pillow, catching her on the shoulder, but losing the pillow. Now Carol was armed, and she turned on him. But before she could get to him, Adele caught him hard on his left side with a seat cushion she grabbed from God knew where. Kevin staggered to his side and turned to Adele, who caught him again, this time across the leg, tripping him and sending him backwards. He used his pillow to soften his landing and pushed back, reaching up with his legs to grab her and tumble her forward over his head. By the time he got to his feet, three of them were upon him. Somewhere off to his right, Carol kept Gerd busy, leaving Sarah, Katie, and Adele for him. He'd been in a few fourways in his time, but this was not the way he generally preferred them. Between his forearms and the pillows, he managed to fight a respectable holding action, only giving a few feet of ground every minute. Of course, the living room wouldn't last forever, and the three of them managed to corral him onto the stairs, with Adele in the lead. There was nothing for it but to turn and run, which, like any self-respecting coward, he did with a great sense of the rightness and dignity of his cause. When he achieved the landing, he turned to find he'd been granted an anemic reprieve. Sarah had turned on Katie and was now fighting her back toward the floor below, but Adele was still coming. 
She fought unrelentingly and with such ferocity that Kevin found himself feeling very lucky that she was using a pillow rather than, say, a baseball bat. You think you're winning, don't you? Kevin huffed and puffed and backed toward his bedroom door. I'm not the one retreating. Oh, yeah? Kevin popped the latch with his left hand. <laughs> what if I do this? He dropped the pillow and picked Adele up around the waist, earning him an eek of surprise. <laughs> he stepped back into his room and hurled her onto the bed, then jumped in on top of her. He hovered over her for a moment, waiting for some signal from her that it was okay to continue his attack. She locked eyes with him, and he felt one of her legs slide outside his and hook behind him. He swallowed and leaned closer to kiss her, only to have her grab one of the pillows from the head of his bed and bop him on the head with it. She pulled her leg against the back of his knee and pushed, flipping him over, dodging several of his attempts to retaliate with the other pillow. She finally threw her own away and grabbed for his, scrambling for control. The weight of her knees on his arms finally won the day for her, and she snatched the final pillow from him, throwing it grandly into the closet and looking down at him, gloating in her triumph. Before he knew it, she was smashed down against him, kissing him like he was the only food left in the world, eating his lips, his tongue, his chin. He pushed back, kissing her violently as she grabbed the hem of his t-shirt and yanked it up over his head. Once it was clear of him, she shimmied down and started kissing and nibbling on his chest and neck, sending his equilibrium spinning. He couldn't think straight, didn't want to either. He hooked his arms under hers and pulled her up so that they were face to face and hip to hip, and he walked his lips along her jawline until he found her earlobe. When he locked on it, she went mad, her hips dancing, pushing down onto him, trying to fuck him through his jeans. He didn't bother with the buttons. He just yanked her shirt out of her pants and, on the way up, hooked his fingers under her bra and pulled it off with the rest. She laid down against him, dancing in circles, dragging her small breasts over the sparse, springy hair on his chest. He found them with his hands and squeezed, finding their tender spots and kneading them in time with her breathing. It was all the tenderness there was right now. This was something different. Not anger. Frustration. She worked his jeans down over his hips as if venting decades of frustration on him. And he helped her, scooting up and squeezing his buttocks together so the waist would slide past them without unbuttoning. She got them off with her toes. He held her around her chest and dragged her up fully onto the bed, and they lay facing each other. He didn't open his eyes. He didn't dare. He'd wanted this for days, and now that he tasted her tongue in his mouth, he could think of nothing finer than to spend the remaining time they served in this prison beneath the snow getting to know every inch of her, inside and out. When she finally let his lips go, he took the opportunity to breathe. He opened his eyes and looked deep into hers, brown enough that he couldn't see the boundary between her iris and her pupil. She was hungry, so hungry. He could see something sitting deep down inside her, a set of hungers and desires he didn't know if he was equal to. His breath caught in his throat and he closed his eyes, mentally kicking himself for thinking with his prick. He wasn't a teenager, he should know better than this. Time to stop being such a goddamn fool. He opened his eyes and she tried to kiss him again, and he turned away. Her kiss glanced off his cheek as he struggled to extricate himself. Kevin. Kevin, what's wrong? This isn't right. What? I'm sorry. We shouldn't do this. Whoa, ho. Hold on. Damn it. She was pissed now. Probably had a right to be, too. You spend the week hopping beds between Carol and Katie and Sarah and and, and even Gerd. And, and now you don't want me? No, I... That would be easy. 
Trouble is, I do want you. More than... What? What is it? I just... He tried to pick his words carefully, wishing he had Katie's wit or Gerd's finesse. I don't think this is a good idea. Why? She was confused now. Confused was better than pissed. At least, he hoped it was. I'm not waiting around for the right woman to make my life complete. I'm not monogamous. I don't want to be. I know that. You had a man who cheated on you. You left him. But this is who I am. And I don't think it's something you can live with. At least, not if you feel about me the way I feel about you. I'll just break your heart. Adele sat up next to him, cupped his hands in her cheeks, and kissed him. I know who you are, Kevin. I've seen it all week. And I want you. Kevin nodded and thought for a moment. I'll tell you what. Take a little time. If you still feel this way tomorrow... He took her left breast in his right hand and squeezed it in as platonic a manner as he could manage. And I'll stay in bed with you all day. Kevin slid off the bed and found his pants, stepping back into them and pulling them up over his hips again, tucking his erection down into them carefully. He found Adele's shirt next to them and tossed it to her. As she put it on, in a tone he hoped was thoughtful rather than angry, she said, You know, you are a complicated man. Kevin raised a playful eyebrow. You're a complicated woman. Adele reached out to him, and he took her hands, pulling her up to a standing and kissing her again, just to make sure she knew he wasn't joking when he told her he wanted her. When the door opened, Gerd jumped half to attention, but it was on the wrong side of the hallway. Kevin's door, not the restroom. A diagnosis confirmed by Kevin and Adele's exit a moment later, walking thoughtfully in his general direction. He nodded to them as they passed, though each one of them was too much in their own world to give him notice. Another moment passed after Kevin and Adele descended the stairs before Amos emerged from the bathroom. Gerd again stood up to face the rider as he approached, but did not block his path. Amos stopped when he noticed Gerd wasn't moving. Gerd? Gerd simply said, We must speak and gestured toward the door to the room once occupied by Jeremiah. Amos inclined his head and followed. The room's reek was more tolerable now, a day after the body being gone, but it was not a comfortably smelling place to be by any measure. The body and the sheets were the only things that had been removed. Everything else was pretty much as it had been the morning of the murder. For murder it must have been, excepting the reclaimed items that had evidently been stolen or substituted in a misguided prank. No, it was not a pleasant place. It was simply the only appropriate place for the confrontation. Amos politely waited until Gerd closed the door before speaking. Okay, Gerd. What do you need? There are things best said in private, I suppose. Evidently so. What do you want to say? Gerd leaned his considerable bulk against the door. Jeremiah, he was not a good man, was he? I suppose that depends on who you ask. You're looking for my opinion? You did not like him? No. No, I did not. I thought he was simple-minded, unpleasant, and cruel. He wrapped it up in a cloak of moralism and self-righteousness to make himself seem like he cared. He discredited every good thing about the causes he championed. He was an embarrassing, hateful little man with no self-respect. He did not die of bulimia, did he? No, he died of heart failure and dehydration. Do not dance, mon ami. You know my meaning, I think. Why would you think that? A lesser man might have taken umbrage, guilty or not. If nothing else, Gerd found Amos's self-control noteworthy. You are the only doctor. You would know how to kill him. Why would I want to? 
He was an unpleasant prick, no? You didn't think so? I do, but I did not have access to drugs. I did not take a bottle of pills from this room when he was found. Amos crossed to the nightstand, opened the drawer, scooped his hand inside, and produced a small plastic pill bottle. Why, you mean this? He tossed it to Gerd. Gerd rotated it, looking for the vital info. Bicycodal. It's a laxative. There is Ipecac in the other nightstand. His tongue was chewed up to shit, which is a classic cardiac arrest. I found burn marks and cuts in his mouth, and his teeth were rotting out from the back. All signs of repeated exposure to acid. Bulimics stay thin by ritualizing their purges. Laxatives, emetics, excessive exercise routines. Chronic bulimia makes organs fail. Heart, liver, kidneys. It was a question of what went first. Gerd wrapped his fist around the bottle and started pacing, shaking his head. No, it cannot be. The sheer convenience of Jeremiah, the person everybody wished hadn't come, being the first to die, didn't sit. It was too easy. It was the kind of thing a second-rate novelist would come up with as a red herring. Real life didn't work that way. The odds of a vital, healthy, active 24-year-old man dying of a heart attack in his sleep were astronomical. But Amos was talking again. And the purging, particularly the vomiting, gives the bulimic what chemically amounts to a morphine high. Very appealing for high-strung people under pressure. Sound like anyone we know? Gerd didn't have an answer he found satisfactory, so he merely shook his head incredulously. Amos continued. I don't have a lab, Gerd. I can't open him up and check his heart. I never finished my residency, but I know what I've studied. Without an autopsy, this is the best there is. I could be wrong, but I'm telling no. you... No! Gerd's voice thundered. He did not mean to shout, but he had reached the far end of his composure. Amos may be many things, but he was not a man Gerd would let bullshit him any longer. Too much else is wrong. The nightmares, the visions. Why couldn't it be mass hysteria? Cabin fever? We're all stuck here. Amos leaned against the wall across from the foot of the bed and shrugged. Gerd set his jaw and looked at Amos. He found himself stepping toward the younger man, probing into Amos's eyes, trying to find the measure of him. Amos did not flinch, and his eyes betrayed nothing. Gerd held his gaze and said, You know that's not true. <sighs> I know. There's times there was truce between us. What are the wounds we all have? I don't know. Amos looked back up, and this time Gerd could see the hopelessness in his eyes. Something had him worried. Very worried. You have medical training. I don't know! It's on every one of us in the same place. In the place that everyone is least likely to see. No one can see themselves in that angle, and it feels just like a little scar. No itching, no burning. No one else will see it there, even in a group of nudists. The only safer place would be on the scalp if you didn't want it found. None of us saw it on our sexual partners. It looks harmless, like a little mole. Not something you notice when you're in the heat of it. He shook his head and spoke again, lower this time, as if he were afraid the walls would hear. The wounds are perfect circles. It is not natural. Gerd did not want to ask the next question, but Amos answered it nonetheless. No. Someone is doing this to us. Hold that. Perfect. Adele hit the shutter release. She was using an SLR this time, for the lower light conditions, she said. Carol held the pose as instructed, her arms reaching up toward the ceiling and her back to the photographer as the pool's light oscillated through its available colors. Okay, start moving again. Yeah, 
You do set a sensual banquet. I am an adult, you know. I know my own mind, despite what certain people seem to think. <laughs> Don't take it personally. <laughs> Is he crazy? Some kind of misogynist? No, just overcautious. He feels his responsibilities very deeply. You say potato. Oh, he's just a physicist, Adele. He likes things marked out in bright equations. Turn your head toward the camera for me. Carol turned her head away so she could reply without messing up the shots. Kevin gets paternalistic with people he cares about. Men, women, doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> Just remind him every once in a while. You'll get the hint. So you're suggesting I tie him up? Eh, not quite as kink, but you're getting the idea. Carol heard Adele move over to the rack and relaxed her pose, turning back around to face the missionary. Are you really sure you want what he has to give? I think so. Be sure. Midnight found Katie pacing the floor aimlessly between the rooms upstairs. The previous night's dreams still hadn't let her go, and she had no appetite to slither into a snuggle sandwich between Amos and Carol tonight. Garrett had retired early with the promise that Sarah would join him when her films were done. The frames on the wall held the kind of art that made Katie a little stir-crazy. Optical illusions, surrealist nightmares, Escher. Awful gods from the darkest parts of the psyche. She wanted to go to bed. The third time she approached Carol's door and couldn't bring herself to enter, she gave up. Sarah was downstairs in the living room, working her way through the Star Trek movies. At least Katie's wasn't the only sleepless night in the house. The insomniacs, she figured, may as well stick together. Walking down the hall again from Carol's door in her bare feet, she felt something strange. A little lump on the hardwood. She backed up and felt it with her feet. Oblong, greasy, definitely not something that was supposed to be there. She bent down, and in the subdued light she felt the unmistakable outline of a wax spill. Candle wax, stuck to the floor in the hallway, at the edge of the throw rug, right where Katie had dropped the candle last night in her dream. Katie stood up stiffly, keeping her emotions under as tight a control as she could manage, and marched haltingly down to the ground floor. Sarah lay on the long couch, the movie screen pulled down from its recess in the wall, watching Spock recover his memories from the mind of an old friend. Sarah scooted to the back of the couch, making room for Katie to lie next to her, which Katie did. Still having the dreams? She asked the dancer. Yeah. Me too. Sarah looked up at her, her blue eyes looking deep into Katie as if willing her to understand. They aren't dreams. I know. Sarah looked at her, resolute. So what are we going to do? We'll figure it out. Promise. Katie reached up and squeezed her hand, then settled in to watch the movie. Ideas would come in the morning. It looked like a settled, low, gray mist that clung to the surface of the clock and the table, shrouding the polished wood enough so that no light from the timepiece's digital readout reflected off it. Next to the table, nestled properly in his bed, Gerd spent a lonely night as his bedmates both slept in the living room below, having long since drifted off to sleep in front of the movie screen. 
Dust comes from pollution, airborne ash and smoke particles, microscopic wood and textile rubbings, and, most abundantly, dead human skin sloughed off throughout the day. Clearing the settled dust from the table and the clock wasn't a problem. A feather duster was quite sufficient. Cleaning up the man laying motionless in the bed next to it was another matter. That required a damp cloth wiped carefully over his face and through his hair, and then a healthy shake of the bed sheet to move the particulates back into the air where they belonged. Had anyone been in the room after the figure attending to the cleaning had gone, they might have seen small, subtle perturbations running along Gerd's leg. Had anyone in the house been awake to hear, they might have heard his screams ring out first, before the others started. You've been listening to episode 22 of Down From 10. Written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer with music by Danny Shade, used with permission. Additional music from Also Sprach Zarathustra by Richard Strauss and from Sing 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 by the Benny Goodman Orchestra, both in the public domain. Starring T. Morris as Amos Maple, Philippa Ballantyne as Carol Lewis, Nathan Lowell as Gerd Falkstein, Miss Callender as Sarah Evans, Kitty Nakian as Katie Sato, Nobilis Reed as Kevin Walden, and Christiana Ellis as Adele Surhan. Sounds by Artistic Whispers and the Free Sound Project. This audiobook is recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. The book is copyright 2009 J. Daniel Sawyer, based on a screenplay copyright 2008 J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2009 Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.5 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author.